0: If I hear something I like that you...
1: Hello, all. Um, Welcome to another episode of Direct Shift Stories. This is your host, Raj, and today we are joined by our special guest.
2: Raj, we lost your voice. No, Raj, we can't hear you. It's okay, Raj, I'll, I'll I'll take it from here. Thank you, okay. Raj. Um, oh, I can hear you. I can hear you now. It's just when I said I'll take it from here.
1: Okay. So uh, this particular episode will be about back to the future. Again, um, with little difficulties, with technical um, glitches out there, we are going to discuss with uh, Rollis Again, thank you, Rollis, for being uh, here with us. Live with Rollis is something which is, one of my favorite hashtags on LinkedIn. So we are going to discuss about how pandemic is transforming the healthcare hiring. And uh, we are also going to speak about um, what kind of uh, subscription models which are there for everybody who is there in the medical field, Uh, the kind of talent which is um, is, uh, developing or evolving in in the field of like, currently in the crisis. So let's let's hear it from Rollis. In fact, he had appeared in Forbes magazine. He appeared in Locum's Life and other publications like ASHRA. And he had spoken at multiple conferences, both in-person and virtual. And it could take definitely an hour to introduce Rollis with the kind of uh, um, awesome um, profile which he has got with the kind of bio. It's super active and uh, he also manages... Um, one of the largest healthcare executive groups on LinkedIn. A little excited, a little tense. Thank you so much. Uh, Wamshi, over to you. Thank you, Rawlis.
0: Thank you, Raj. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, you, Raj. Um, For all uh, our listeners out there, um, again, a great privilege and pleasure to host another uh, Shifts episode here, especially with somebody special like Rawlis, who uh, we believe... um, Uh, we share the mission with, frankly, we may not have worked together, but I think we are both uh, sailing in similar kinds of boats um, in the sea of the healthcare, (laughs) uh, trying to carry out similar missions. Uh, So as Raj said, Rollis has got a lot of experience and expertise in the field of um, healthcare, human resource, healthcare, human capital management, healthcare, human capital optimization. As you all know, the pandemic, Um, the biggest heroes have been our healthcare workers. And Rawlis has been working in the field of enabling healthcare workers and healthcare staffing and recruitment for the past many years. So we will hear from him today on um, how is this whole um, uh, landscape shaping? Uh, What are the challenges that our healthcare organizations are facing with respect to hiring, staffing, recruitment? What are the challenges clinicians and healthcare workers are facing with respect to finding the right opportunity. What should one be thinking about when it comes to appropriately staffing their respective departments, organizations, and what are some of the tools and techniques out there for everybody to use is what we'll potentially hear from Rollis today. And before all of that, I wanna thank you Rollis, for spending some time with us today. Um, I know you are a great influencer and you also run multiple uh, groups and conversations live. So thank you for your time today. Without much further ado, all of you, I present to you Rawls. Uh, Rawlis, um, just give—I I may not have done justice, but please give us a little more flavor of your own profile. How did you end up really uh, being who you are today?
0: Wow, you—you you guys are—you guys are amazing. I mean, you gave me much more justice to, than I was even due. So I, I thank you. Namaste, everyone. Hello, everyone. Good day. Glad to be here, and I'm glad to be. I was honored when you guys asked me to be on today. So thank you, and I appreciate what you're doing. I've checked out your site and some of the things you're doing. You guys are doing some great things with your show here. So I'm I'm excited to be here, and however I can serve and help, I'm here to do it. So thank you very much. Appreciate you, Vamshi and Raj.
2: Perfect, perfect, perfect. Great. Thanks, Ollie. So Ollie, let's let's jump in. You know, I'm sure we will probably talk for days on this, but let I'll jump in. Um, like you said. We are trying to serve the mission of connecting clinicians directly with employers, helps staffing, mostly contingent staffing, um, more seamless and more easier. Because, as we all know, healthcare access is tied to the clinicians being available there. What are you seeing in terms of like pre pandemic? What were the challenges with respect to clinician staffing and how those challenges even got exacerbated? during the pandemic. You were talking about it a little bit before we started the show. So please shed some light on what you are seeing as as the challenges in healthcare staffing today.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, there were, there was already a shortage. And by the way, when I say shortage, which that 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 term is used quite a bit, there's technically enough licensed nurses in the United States to cover all the jobs. But as far as bedside nursing, those who want to be at the bedside caring for patients, particularly with something like a COVID phenomenon, you, you want to have enough bedside nurses to cover all those positions. And so we had a shortage before COVID happened. And then when COVID came, it was just, it's just exacerbated. It just totally made it even worse because now you have a situation where you know, some nurses couldn't work because they had perhaps a spouse or family members that may have underlying conditions. We didn't know what was going on with the virus. We didn't know how, what was going to happen. You have a situation where the nurses themselves had underlying conditions, and so they had to stop working. See so, there was quite a few nurses who had to kind of sit on the bench for a while. They had to sit to the side, and so we still needed help. Uh, and then you had a situation where we thought it was gone, and then it kind of surges right back. Not not gone, but at least we thought it it had. Tilted down next thing you know that the surge comes right back up again and so that that made it worse so then the government had to get involved to try and help things out but to, just to kind of give you guys some some numbers here in the u.s there's roughly about 4.1 million nurses and there's about 3 million uh working nurses uh in the field uh there's probably about three or four hundred thousand that are nurse practitioners And then you got probably another couple hundred thousand that are in management. That still leaves about four or five hundred thousand nurses that could be in the workforce helping, but they're doing other things that may have to be on the sidelines for whatever reasons. And so that that creates a very challenging issue. And then because there was such a shortage of nurses, what happens when you have more demand than there is supply? Prices go up, right? So now you have a situation where travel, traveling nurses that may cost X amount. Now they cost two to three times as much for the same nurse for the same amount of time. And the nurses, to their credit, they feel like, and, and deservedly so, they deserve more money because they're literally, in some cases, risking their lives in helping these patients with, with the COVID uh, and working in these COVID units. So that drove up their prices as well from a risk standpoint. So those are some of the d- dynamics that we're facing here in the U.S., and that may reflect some of the things that you're, you're, you're facing, uh, your reviewers are facing in different parts of the world.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. No, well said, Oralisa. I think uh, pricing was just a function of how the demand and supply have always shaped up. Um, So I have a follow-up thoughts last question to that. So there is urban, semi-urban and rural organizations, right? I mean, urban organizations, the way when we work with them, they don't have much of a challenge in attracting the volumes of talent, volumes of workers. They probably have a challenge in kind of trying to deploy them, move them to where the need is, et cetera. Whereas when you look at rural healthcare facilities, they have challenges in actually attracting and retaining those staff. So constantly they're having to resort to multiple tools to make sure the right clinicians are there. So uh, from from an organization perspective, um, when they're facing challenges with attracting the right clinicians, right volumes and right kinds, what should they be doing differently given the constraints that they already have?
0: Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that they, that they want to do is when they, when they look at themselves, taking a good inventory of what do we have to offer? Let's, let's just use nurses as a, as an example. Mm-hmm. What can we offer a nurse that they may not be getting where they are? So let's take an example of an urban situation. What if there's a nurse that's in a urban situation where they're working in this hospital. It's a very busy hospital. Maybe they feel like the staffing ratios aren't quite what they would have liked it to be. Uh, yeah. Maybe they feel like the department that they're in, there's not a lot of growth uh, where they are. Maybe they feel like they're too constrained with just a certain amount of um, casework. Maybe they're constrained to a certain department. Whereas the smaller hospital might say, you know what, we know you've been wanting to work in ICU and you're, you're over in med-surg we can actually put you in the ICU. If you come to our hospital, that way you'd be be able to have exposure and training with the ICU, or they could present other things such as, you know, we've got more flexibility here with your schedule here, or we've got better staffing ratios, or this might be a little bit better place to raise your kids in, you know, and also maybe, maybe we can actually have better housing for you because in that urban place where you are, the pricing, the, the housing is sky high. So, so they just need to look at what can they offer that they may not be getting where they are. Once they find out what that is, Let's be transparent about it. Let's do some videos, let's do some content and put it out there into the hands of those nurses where they can see it, get exposed to it. And I say nurses, whether it's physicians, nurse practitioners, techs, whatever it is you need. Get that type of information in their hands so they can see that there are other options that they can take advantage of. And one of the things Ramshi that's happened in the past year is that these urban facilities And the rural facilities are now really more on the same level than they used to be in terms of what they can offer. Uh, Because let's say uh, certain facilities, uh, let's say an urban facility, the reason why they're there is if they're married uh, or if they have other people in the household, it was easier for them to find a job, whereas the nurse can go anywhere, for example. But in a small town in the past, it may have been they may not have a job for that spouse or that other family member. But now, because so many people are doing remote work, they can still move to that smaller place have a lower cost of living and still have that job in that urban facility without I haven't actually lived there.
2: Got it, got it. No, that's a, that's a very, very good insight. Um, I, I think very well said with respect to what they can offer and how the, the field has been has been level set and now how um, more and more people are actually looking at these other facilities. It's only if they get that information correctly from them they are because decision is dependent on information. You know, if they have to decide to get there, and what kinds of information do they actually have access to, especially in this era of information overload, we should not have our nurses like looking for information to make their decision to go to certain facilities. Um, so, so with that said, um, you know, I, I looked at your site to you do great work with respect to enabling those HR departments of various healthcare organizations truly become more nimble in attracting and retaining talent. Um, how do you equip them to kind of put their information out there in a better format than, you know, what they do? I, I, again, you don't need to give out any of the secret sauces here, et cetera, but, but what do you recommend to them to make sure that they're putting out their information in a more distinctive fashion that people can catch on to more easily? What, what do you do with, with those organizations?
0: yes, these are great questions and I want, I want to give a little bit of secret sauce or I want to give some out and and that's totally fine. If they feel like they can do it themselves, feel free. But some of the things that we're able to do with folks when we're working with them is let's, let's get some of the data to find out where it is that they truly do shine with that, that they can offer a competitive advantage. Once we do that, Let's put together some videos where we are recording, let's say, the director of nursing, the CNO of nursing, the director of the departments, uh, if we're talking about nursing. Again, if you have folks who are looking at other positions like physicians, maybe it's the medical director, maybe it's the CMO, the chief medical director, uh, maybe it's uh, other staff physicians or other staff nurses, uh, we're interviewing them. What's, What's some of the reasons why they came to the organization? Why do they stay there? Uh, What's it like to work there? What's your schedule like? You know, what's it like in terms of is it self-scheduling? Are you able to get some of those work-life balance things in? Uh, What what are some of the other things that career progression that you offer at that particular organization or in that department? Uh, Could it be that you have education? things of those nature that you want to actually talk about, that you do have education, tuition reimbursements, or helping to pay for school, things of that nature. So we take some of those things and we put them in one to two minute video vignettes, just like short little job previews, realistic job previews Mm -hmm. of what the job is like. Now, here's where some organizations fall short. The videos are too long. We found Mm -hmm. that if you have the videos around a minute, that helps a ton. Another thing is that they don't necessarily talk about the, what the nurse will be doing. They just talk about, oh, this organization is great. It's wonderful. Well, yeah, everybody says that. So that's not a differentiator. So what are some of the things that a nurse would actually do there? Who would they work with? Give me some examples. So having some of that in the video helps. Also having shots of the organization uh, at work. Like what would it, like for instance, the nurse, or one nurse told me, I don't care so much what the outside of the hospital looks like. I care more about where I'm actually going to be working. So show me what the equipment is like. Show me what the rooms are like, where I'll actually be working. That's what's relevant to me. Show me who I might be working for, who I might be working with. Those are the types of things we try and put in the videos, right? So we have that in there. We keep them short. And then now, here's the big thing. Just because you make a video doesn't mean they're going to watch it, right? Mm -hmm. So if they make this video and they put it on their website, it's going to get like a couple hundred views and you've basically wasted your money, wasted your time. So what we do is we make sure we push that video out to the different places where the nurses will be actually watching them. Right. So um, they're going to be on YouTube. They're going to be on uh, there's over a million websites in the United States. I'm not sure how what the worldwide numbers are, but over a million websites in the United States are on the Google ads platform. So being able to push the videos out through the Google ads, through YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And then we're about to get into TikTok. TikTok's it's really hot right now. It's been more so on the organic side, uh, but now they actually have a paid platform. And so, your viewers, if they're not if they're if they're not familiar with this, you can post something on the internet, post something on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of these platforms for free, right? But yeah. how many people actually look at those things? If you don't push it out, they're not going to watch it. Unless it's some viral thing. Yeah, obviously, it's some kind of viral thing. Once, yeah, they'll, they'll look at that. But if it's talking about your, your facility and your job, just, I mean, let's just, let's just be real. They're not going to look at it, okay? I see examples of it every day where they might have one, like, a couple of views. That's it. It's a waste of time. So what we do yeah. is we make sure we push it out through the ad platform, and we literally get thousands upon thousands of views. I mean, one, one search we're working on right now, I just looked at the numbers. Just between now and the first of the month, we have 20,000 views. And we don't just create one video. That's another thing I think we're here's another secret sauce thing. Don't just create one video, create tons of them. You need to have a library because who wants to watch the same video over and over again. And we know it's going to take more than one opportunity, right. For them to watch. I mean, I've heard seven times. I've heard 10 times. I don't know what you think it is. I don't, I don't know what the number is, but they have to see it several times. What are your thoughts on that? How many times do you think that it's going to take for them to take action?
2: No. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. My number has always been seven. I <laughs> somehow always, okay. always like seven because, and we try to use that number quite diligently as well, which is when we are creating campaigns like email campaigns or video campaigns, or short bursts of text campaigns, etc. Our personal ego tells us that yeah, I've done it twice. We should have gotten a response by now, but it is never the case. You know, you should put your personal professional ego completely aside Live off of the data evidence and say, unless you have done it seven times, don't expect a response. So that's how we have actually approached it. So, so that was a great question and great way to put it, which is it's not enough to create information. You have to create the right information multiple times and push it out in the right channels so that you feel that it is your responsibility that it reaches those people. And then it becomes their responsibility to take action.
0: There you go. That's it. So if we do the math on this, let's say there's five different types of positions that they know they need help with and they need to have seven videos at least, right, to use your number, unless you're going to use your number, seven videos per each of those five roles. That's 35 videos. How many video, how many facilities, small facilities in rural areas have 35 videos to begin with? Probably very few. So, So I think one of the things that, you know, is number one is have lots of them and create them regularly. This is not like a project you do one time and oh, we made our videos, we did that like two years ago or five years ago, whatever. Yeah, that's not gonna do it. You need to continually make new ones all the time. And so we do that as well. And another thing too I will say is, a lot of people don't think about this, is that these platforms want you to stay on that platform. So if we're creating content for let's say Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the case is, we want to be cognizant of that—that that when we're creating any type of organic content, uh, content that we didn't pay for that we're just posting, that it doesn't immediately take people off the platform. We want to have some nurturing with them on the platform first. So maybe instead of taking immediately off the platform, I'm just going to use LinkedIn for example. Maybe we instead, if you're doing a organic posts, you might put the link to your job post actually in the comments and just talk about the job itself and the interview and all that. The, the video and all that is in the main part of the post. And when they see you post something, they have an opportunity to maybe click on your profile and then go to your, or your company page, go to the company page and look at that there first. And then maybe they apply. And let's say they use the LinkedIn application to actually apply. What is that going to do? It's going to tell the algorithm, oh man, this is working. Let's let's push this out some more. So we try and do some little things like that to, to just keep that in mind. Obviously, if you're paying for an ad, you want to get them to your website. So by all means, put your link to your website in the ads. We do that all the time. But just that first step, we don't want to miss that step. But keep in mind yeah. that the, the the main thing that they want to do is keep people on that platform.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, it's a great point. Great point. You know, very recently, one of the clients that we were working with, you know, it's a small story. You rightly said, if they have the right information, then you can attract the right talent. Um, one of the nurses, we we deal a lot with contingent staffing. One of the nurses that we were trying to deploy um, uh, at one of those, my Chicagoland hospitals, she said it was troublesome for her to get to the hospital. The first day she tried to go there for interview, it was not easy. She doesn't like the area, et cetera, et cetera. And she was in two minds whether she actually wants to do that. But we knew the hospital really needed that position to be filled quickly because the patients were hurting. So just a matter of actually calling her and telling her, this is the population that this hospital serves. This hospital is known for this, 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 this is a kind of service to the community that they're doing. And you are telling us that it is hard to get to that hospital. It's actually not that it's hard to get to that hospital. The hospital is situated in a region which is underserved and it is the go to hospital. It was just giving her the two minutes spiel on why that hospital is so important the way it is that has done the magic. She was like, that's great. You know what? I want to be a part of that mission. So you said the right thing. I think it's about also encouraging and working with the healthcare organizations to put information out there about themselves that will help them attract the right staffing. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I love that you're hitting on something. I think that you traditionally the contingent work staff, uh, part of our industry, which you, you serve, has been incredibly useful in that they have taught um, nurses, uh, practitioners, uh, physicians, what what have you. They've said, look, we want to find out what you're looking for. And once I find out what you're looking for, I'm going to be able to help you find the right spot for that. And then once you get that that, that, that information on the front end, you're able to use that information to come back to them because you knew that was important to her, that it would be important to her to serve a certain population that's underserved. Whereas if you would have gotten that information differently, let's say that it was all about money to them, then you may have you may have a different conversation. Right. So I think that's one thing that your industry, your part of the industry has done extremely well. And that's one that hospitals can learn from is having recruiters in place that are willing to have those conversations uh, early and often so yeah. that they can put them in the right spot and put them in a spot that they're going to resonate with, that, that you know they're going to be passionate about. So I love that point you mentioned.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. That's why we actually call it more like matchmaking. You know, that's what that's what we take pride. Our platform does the matchmaking, takes the clinician's profile and preferences, takes the organization's needs and preferences, and does the matching. And once you do, once you have the tech do it, then you know you you can do it at, at scale. And that's what you know we are trying to do and serve the industry with. So, so thank you for that recognition. Um, I, I don't know how much time you have, Rollis, but I could go on forever with you, frankly. But please stop me if, if if we have to stop. But I do have one more thing that I want to touch upon with you. I think it will be very important for our audience to, to know about. Job descriptions. I think, I think job descriptions is far due a big revolution. It's like the way the job descriptions are written and presented today, it's been the same way for the past, I don't know ever since I was, I have known job descriptions They have looked the same way. There is a title, there is this, there is a big textual description. Then there is some pay information, all of that. Every job description looks the same thing. But this day and age, who has the time to read through pages and pages of job descriptions? At least not at the first step. So what have you seen as the evolution of the job descriptions and what have you seen as to be working really well in capturing attention and in actually doing the job that it is supposed to do. Details can come later probably, but what are some of those key small changes that people can do to job descriptions to catch attention properly?
0: Uh, it's, It's a great question. And it's something I partially learned part of this when I was in the contingent staff business. And we just kind of carried it over to recruiting is that there are certain key pieces of information that that job seeker wants that they care about and a lot of times that's not found in a job description. So we don't want to make any HR departments too uh, nervous here. We're not saying we get rid of job descriptions um, that can, let's leave that in the internal department, but when we're talking about job postings where we're trying to get people to want to apply for this job. Yeah. Let's take that job description. Let's tweak it quite a bit. Let's talk about things that they're actually concerned with. Um, you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm an OR nurse, for example, I know what an OR nurse does. You don't have to explain to me everything that an OR nurse does. But the things I do want to know is, what's the schedule like? How often am I on call? What kind of cases am I going to do? How many people are on my team? Do you have text? Do you not have text? Do I do it on my own? Um, So those are things that are going to be more relevant to me than just telling me that I need to be able to lift more than 20 pounds and know how to work a computer. Uh, and then, so I think we need to get more cognizant about what information are these nurses looking for. They also want to know about things like salary, like what's what's the pay mm-hmm. looking like, what what's your benefits like. I mean, how many job descriptions have things like that in it? Let's say zero, right? Most yeah. most do not have those types of information in them. And we also see a lot of copy and paste go on. And so we'll just say, okay, well, this is a job for a nurse. Okay, we'll just copy and paste the last nurse description, and that's what we'll use. So we wanna make sure we don't do that. We wanna make sure it's, it's actually customized to the job. That's something we do a lot. And I think another thing too, Vamshi is very important, is large blocks of text do not work. That People just, they skim read that. So what yeah. we do is we try and make sure that we put like, like bold writing in there. We've got bullet points in there. Lots of things to show that there's variation so it's a much easier read. And then also we break up the text with videos. So we usually have about two to three videos in each of our postings so that they can take a break and look at that. And another thing is fine, I'll give another little trick. This is an interesting trick, is that we were noticing that on our job postings, the nurses a lot of times were not actually viewing the videos. We're wondering why. Because like, hey, those are short videos. We know these work well because we've already run numbers on them. We know they're good videos. Why aren't they watching? Why aren't they looking at them? So I actually um I actually uh uh what do you call it uh I'm, I'm on i'm online i'm watching the nurse and and i said look i want you to look for a job while while, while i'm here she's okay mm-hmm. so she starts looking look for a job she opens up the job and starts looking at the job that you know i wanted to see the videos on right and i'm noticing she's not clicking on the videos there's like five different choices of videos on the page there's some on the sidebar there's two or three in the job posting she's not looking at any of the videos i'm like so i, I couldn't stand anymore she, i finally said um i noticed you didn't click on the videos why didn't you click on the videos?" she goes um, You know what? I didn't even notice. Uh, I'm just used to them playing by themselves. I was like, oh, oh. so like That's think about it. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, yeah. the videos play by themselves. Right. Yeah. So what we started doing from then on is we actually make the first video in a lot of cases just start playing on its own with the sound off so they can turn the sound on if they want. And of course, we have captions on all of our videos. So we found that the views went up instantly once we did that. So that's just another little trick we learned.
2: Wow, that's such a great insight. You're absolutely right though. It is, the behaviors have been shaped so much by these large social media companies that we sometimes don't even know that how the behaviors have existed now. Uh, So all of, that's a great point. All of our, because all of our clinicians are normal people too, just like us. I mean, we're all I don't want to call victims of social media, but we are all some practitioners of social media. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. And we have behaviors that have been shaped up by social media. So how are our information designs catering to those behaviors is such an important thing to take care of. Oh my God. I already feel so much more knowledgeable, Wallace, <laughs> but that's know, a I, I love idea.
0: It. yeah, this, this has been yeah. great. Uh, I'll give you a couple, what, what's, couple of quick little tips. Um, most people in the United I don't know about other countries here in the United States. Uh, roughly about 80 percent of healthcare professionals that we have run the data for are using um Apple products. So make sure that whatever you're showing shows well, whether it's your website, whatever you're showing shows well on Apple products, whether it's an iPad, iPhone, that sort of thing. Another thing we've learned is that most of your folks who are looking at jobs are looking at them on Mondays and Tuesdays the most. That's that's the we get the Highest amount of traffic on those days. So if you're going to do something new, you're going to try some new stuff with your jobs, um, try and get them out by maybe like Friday or somewhere before that Monday starts. So they can so those active candidates can see your jobs um, a lot quicker. That's another little tip. And then also another tip. One more last one is on a lot of social media, you want to have the square format, the square format that has a title bar at the top. It's got the captions burn at the bottom and then the and then the widescreen in the middle. That works really, really well on the different social media platforms. So hopefully that's a little tip they'll be able to use.
2: Awesome, awesome, that's great, that's great. You know, One other thing that I've also been doing some research on is uh, are the clinicians and healthcare workers getting the right information with respect to some of these licensure th- requirements, et cetera, that have been evolving and changing because it's not also about preparing our healthcare organizations to go after and find the right talent and open up more opportunities. It's also preparing our clinicians and healthcare workers to be, you know, more receptive of that information, to be more capable of going and picking up these jobs. And one of the things we started to do was doing some research for our clinicians on what does it take to get licensed in you know, a couple of these other states? Where are the executive orders going on where you can just go and work, don't need a license? Where are mm-hmm. emergency licensing going on where you can get a license in two weeks? You know, where where is the license backed up so that you might want to put the license right now if you want to? start working in six months. So some of those things are also um, research and activities that we have been doing to help our clinicians so, and healthcare workers. Uh, any any thoughts there, Rollis, the, what you have seen? How is, the, how is the healthcare workers side of this equation preparing themselves um, so that the whole recruitment space looks much better?
0: I think those are great points, what you're doing. Anything you can do to help them from their perspective, um, they're going to remember that. Um, I, I, in fact, recently I've talked with several nurses when I say, you know, when you're, when you're looking for a job, when you think of recruiters, who do you think of? And instantly a person comes to mind and that person may be someone that they met when they were still in school about maybe how to get a resume, how to get your resume together. How do you, how do you uh, apply for these different jobs and what you, things you should do on the interview? Uh, so th- that early work you're talking about working with the universities and helping them to get their license, that's stuff that they will remember. And, and so if, I think it's a great uh, strategy. The other other strategies I think that probably tend to work also well is giving them information that they would like. Like sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, look, if you want to know what, for for example, the perm side, what the sign on bonus uh, relocation, retention and and education reimbursements what that looks like. We can give you a list of those and help you out so you can find something that's good for you. Just little things like that or just informational stuff about things that they should have on their resume. That's that'll help them to be uh, more, more, uh, attractive $20 to $20. a potential employer, yeah. anything that they feel is high value, I think definitely goes a long way with those healthcare workers.
2: Perfect. Perfect. Uh, great points. Again, I want to be respectful for, to your time. This has been a great 35, 40 minutes that, you know, I've spent, uh, I already feel like, like, you know, like the say, um, it's better to speak with an expert than to read a whole book. Uh, that's how I felt for the last 35 minutes. Um, I'm sure we'll have more opportunities to collaborate, and I'm I'm looking forward to those things. I already feel that there is great synergy, and I hope our audience saw the output of that synergy and got some good information out of this session. Any final thoughts from your side?
0: Well, me too. I've really enjoyed this discussion. You know, I've learned some things here from you as well over some of the things you guys are doing, which I think is great. Um we you know, one thing I will say is that this is a situation where this is not going away. Contingent work staff is gonna be needed for a long time. So what you guys are doing is very, very needed uh in this marketplace. And then on our end, we're gonna to continue to do what we can to help organizations to attract those folks who want to work there permanently. So I think, you know, there's an old saying that there's a rising tide can lift all boats. So really all of us can make the community better as we help others. Uh, we can all help each other in this process. So I've really enjoyed this this several few minutes i spent with you
2: absolutely all is definitely we can all help each other you know especially when there is synergy and and we are trying to infuse a lot of tech into this space that's where we have a lot of differentiation so so i totally agree with you we can rising, tide lift all boards i would I'm, I'm going to remember that uh, we definitely look forward to that collaboration uh, thank you all for listening and watching us today uh, i hope this has um, Move the needle a little bit for you all and help you with some good information. Uh, and once again, Rollis, thank you so much for your time today. Raj, back to you.
1: Uh, I, I would say um, that Live with Rollis is another show. Probably this experience makes me feel that uh, Rock with Rollis. There should be another hashtag saying Rock with Rollis. Oh, Rallis. wow.
0: I'm going to give you something for that. I like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for you, okay. <laughs>
1: Okay. okay, the kind of insights which you shared, the user behavior or the autoplay of the videos and the nurses and all of them. In fact, the social media chains made us um, get used to what are the things which we do normally on uh, Instagram or TikTok. But thank you so much for all the listeners. If you're watching the replay, do share in your feedback. You will be able to catch this live again on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, and we'll share you the recording release. And there'll be lots of other snippets of this, which you will be seeing on the social media channels. Awesome. Thank you awesome. so much. I,
0: I posted this on my, my uh, LinkedIn just now as well. So thank you. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you with another episode of Direction Stories. Take care.
0: Thank you all. Thank you everyone. Bye.